This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey backpackers, Bird Shooter here. And tonight on the show I continue my conversation with Kevin Conley about his book, Above the Ashes, which is a powerful memoir of Kevin's cross-country bike journey with Dog Rocky. In part two of this inspiring podcast, Kevin talks about the cross-country ride, writing his book, fundraising for the Wildland Firefighters Foundation, and the incredible support that he received from family, friends, fellow firefighters, and many, many strangers on his ride. This journey helped Kevin overcome one of the darkest moments of his life. Uh, If you haven't heard episode 96, which is part one of the podcast, I encourage you to go back and check it out because we discuss Kevin's years leading up to the ride, his mental breakdown, and how he nearly took his own life. It'll also help you understand his inspiring journey and the many adventures he had on it. Kevin is grateful to be alive, and in part two of this podcast, he'll tell you how his ride put him on a route to recovery, and he'll share with you magical experiences in the Apache Nation, his celebrity status on the route, and his dramatic 3,500-mile finish in St. Augustine, Florida. Here again is Kevin Conley. Hey, so Kevin, let's talk about the ride for for a minute, because that is pretty much the essence of your book. Um, We talked about your outdoor adventures leading up to the ride. We talked about your long-distance hikes, your, your firefighting, your battle with mental health. One of the analogies you give in the book is that you were like a bison heading into the storm. I love that. Um, can you tell us about that moment? Because you actually witnessed it on your ride, right? Yes. Um, so I don't know how many people know this, but the bison is one of the only animals in the animal kingdom that runs towards the storm. There's a big snowstorm. They don't turn around. They go face first, head first, into the storm, into the blizzard, into the rain, whatever it is, and they try to get it out of the way. And it took me a a long, it took me a year. It took me almost to kill myself twice in one week to realize I needed to face these demons. I needed to make a change. I needed to pick myself up and be the bison and go head into the storm, head into my mental illness, and I needed to recover and fight these demons back. And uh, I became the bison. Yeah, you say in your book that it was time to fight. You needed something to focus on, but it, 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 and it was a cross-country ride. That was the epiphany that you, you came to in literally seconds, right? Can you describe what that was like? Um, what that was like was surreal, really. Um, I remember looking at my bike, looking at a map of the United States, and I remember wanting to kill myself. I wanted to not be here. That was the only way in my mind. You know, you think of all these solutions, how you're going to figure out a problem. You think of every solution. How can I make this work? You know, sometimes it's just getting gas, and you're like, oh, I got an extra penny. Whatever the fuck it is, you're trying to figure out a solution. I had no solutions. 
the only solution, uh, sadly, was, oh boy, uh, I want to kill myself. I wanted to end the pain in my mind. I wanted to end it right now. And uh, after going through a year, 24 7, 365 days of feeling that way, I had no other solution. And uh, I wanted it to be over very fast and very quick. And I didn't want to feel this way anymore. And uh, yeah, must have been an angel. Uh, something came down. Some energy. It sounds some, like your sounds like your dad was the angel because you were literally hearing him in your head, right, telling you to fight, right? Yep, exactly. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then I I looked at my bike and uh, that was it. I said, I said I'm going to ride my bike across the country. This happened in like <laughs> less than a minute. I yeah. went from. I want to kill myself and I never ever want to be a part of this earth to I it's time to fucking fight and I'm going to ride my bike across the country. That happened under a minute. And so what and, we what we haven't talked about yet Kevin is the fact that you take your dog. So did you I mean had you biked with your dog before? No, never. Foolishly, I never had. I should have because it was a lot harder than I anticipated. And your your dog's name's Rocky and so you you had the equipment to immediately start biking with Rocky in a trailer? I bought the equipment. Like literally on the spot that day? Uh, the next day. Yeah, this all happened uh, late at night. Uh, the next day I bought the equipment. Uh, Rocky, I bought Rocky for uh, my girlfriend at the time. We went out to California and saw my old fire crew in Yosemite. And my friends have a, a little black lab. And when we were sleeping on the couch, heading back to Salt Lake that morning, the dog came up and licked her face in the morning, like, time to wake up. And uh, we drove back to Salt Lake City. When we got back there, she said, we're having coffee the next day. And she said, Kevin, I hope one day you surprise me with a dog. <laughs> Two hours later, I went and got this scroungy little dog from uh this lady and uh we named it roscoe and she said i don't like the name roscoe and uh we ended up changing his name to rocky and then a day later he started eating rocks and uh yeah i bought the dog for uh a wonderful woman named jessica and then we broke up and i kept the dog yeah do you want to talk about that a little bit because you go into that in the book right like before the ride um you guys had dated for a while and you had gone into kind of some dark times and kind of seen you at your worst and, um, you know, about to witness you heading out on your ride. Can you, can you give the listeners, uh, just sort of the backstory there before you get on your bike? Yes. Um, yeah, that was a brutal time in my life when I started having panic attacks and I started getting depressed about how I was feeling. It was, a uh, Terrible time, but I met a, a wonderful woman that, uh, oh boy, I wasn't myself. I was, I was suffering silently, and I wasn't who I was, and that's one reason that 
I, I, that's one of the main reasons that I wrote this book was to help people that they get help right away instead of vacating that situation. And, uh, and you, you say in the book that you really didn't share with her what you were going through. So she, she, she saw the impacts of it, but she didn't really understand what you were going through. You kept all that inside, right? Yeah, it was really sad. Like we went for uh, her first backpacking trip, her first bike tour. We did all that together, and it was really sad when uh, we'd go on a backpacking trip, and she thought I was drinking water, and I was drinking some some wine to calm me down on an overnighter, and I was I was trying to hide all this. I was so embarrassed. I felt so weak that I wasn't my true self, and she had to suffer through that because she didn't understand why I was drinking a Coke, why I felt this way, why I didn't want to go out, why I didn't want to do anything. And I didn't have the courage to tell her. And, uh, Oh, I wish I met her at a different time, but, uh, it's just how you feel when you're, when you're depressed, you don't want to express your feelings. And I, I hope people do. And they, they stop that, train wreck before it happens yeah so basically um when when you guys leave on your bike trip and by when i mean by you guys is you and your dog rocky um you and jessica are broken up you essentially what you take a train to san francisco right yeah and, yeah and, and but, but i think it's important to say before you do this you call the um wildland firefighters association right and you actually get their support for the ride correct Correct. And they, um, your, your suggestion to them is that you raise some money on this ride for firefighters. And um, I think that's a huge part of the story, actually. So you start in San Francisco, and then you decide to ride south on a route that you've taken many times down towards San Diego before biking across the country, correct? Correct, yeah. So, Kevin, you have done a lot of long-distance hiking. And yes. this is a hiking podcast, obviously, but you know, you've done a lot of bike rides. Um, did that make you acutely aware that a long journey might be the perfect way to clear your head and get you back on track? Because it seems like that what you did. Yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. I was, uh, gosh, I can't wait for my next long distance backpacking trip. I'll tell you that. That's Continental the divide trip. trail, man. It's waiting for oh, you. Oh gosh. I got to give you the triple crown. Triple crown. Yeah. Oh no, it's like a bike touring so fun because you could cover a hundred miles a day. Yeah. Hundred miles a day. Your breakfast, lunch, dinner in town. There's nothing like backpacking. There's nothing like that solitude. There's nothing like being out there. Back backpacking's my my brick and mortar, no doubt. I I love them both, and it's so hard to pick. Uh, the reason I picked the Southern Tier was uh, just the time of year. You know, headed oh, yeah. off at the uh, end of October, beginning of November. Sure. Like, I, I can't do a long-distance hike like that. So you do, I mean, I think, so you do basically three century rides in your first three days right off the couch. So you leave Utah, you go to San Francisco, I think you took a train if I remember, and you do three century rides off the couch. You know, I don't think, and you sound like you're in pretty good shape, but the bigger issue to me seems like the saddle. I mean, how did your body respond to that? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, you get, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but oh. extreme, extreme ass rash. I totally figured that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it was all about like when I started this bike ride, you have to, I don't know how you put yourself in this uh, mindset, but you got to think three days, four days before, I want to kill myself. I didn't want to be alive. Yeah. So when when I got on my bike and I started riding, I had a purpose. I had a purpose. And when that purpose was reborn, I started to rediscover my life. I started to rediscover myself. And when I started riding, it didn't matter if my anything happened. What mattered was I had a purpose. And I was fighting my demons and I wasn't running. The yeah. problem with what I went through through was that I was running. I continuously ran. I didn't talk about it. I didn't be about it. I escaped through drinking alcohol, trying medicine. I always had an escape. I was done running and it was time that I overcame these things. When I started riding, there was no ash rash in fucking hell that was going to stop me from riding. So a hundred miles was nothing compared to the hell that I suffered when I was having a panic attack all day long. Riding 100 miles does not compare to wanting to kill myself every hour that I'm alive. And I, I realized I had to fight, and that's what changed everything. My goal today isn't my mind racing. I just want to fucking kill myself. My mind was... I got to get to Santa Barbara. I got to get to wherever, to Monterey. I got to get to, you know, whatever town it was, to Globe. I got to do these hundred miles, and I'm going to pedal myself to peace. Yeah, you know, a part of the book I really liked, and this is, you know, from you and I knowing each other from the hiking world, you basically crossed the Pacific Crest Trail early in your ride in Caleb. Well, you'd already done some of the coast, but... Fairly early in your ride, you go across yeah, it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and your worlds collide, like your hiking and, and biking world. What what was that like in your mind? Did you actually stop and like suck in the PCT? Yeah, uh, well, I definitely stopped. Yeah, that sort of like uh, it, it brought me back to earth. It brought me back from where's your mind like trembling? It's like my mind was in like a washing machine, just like going round and round and round. Like, my mind, like, stopped. Yeah, I think like, it was about nine years earlier, right? Like, how much had your not your Those nine years, your life had changed so drastically. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and yeah, when I saw the PCT marker, holy shit. It just, I was amazed. I was like, I remember standing here nine years ago, just being this, like, it felt like a young kid nine years ago standing yeah, there. Not yeah. at the moment, but, you know, being older you know, sitting there on my bike. Yeah, I put my bike down, and I was like... And, and now I, and now you're towing a dog, and you're doing a 3,500-mile ride, um, you know, more than across the country, right? Because you came down from San Francisco to San Diego. Um, wait, so give us a little bit of details about the start date. I'm trying to remember. It was... I know it must have been... It was before Christmas, I know that, because I remember you were getting home before Christmas, before the holidays, right? Yeah, it was uh, uh, October 20, 29th, 
Okay. Last year. Well before. Okay. You were trying to get home before Christmas. That's what I remember from the book. Yeah. Okay. And so we haven't talked about Rocky much at all, but he is actually a big part of your story. So you get a trailer, you're pulling your dog, um, and a lot of the support you got on the ride was related to the dog. Um, what what percent of the time do you think you actually bike with, with Rocky? Uh, maybe around like a, a third. A third? Okay. Maybe like uh, 1,500 miles. Wow. Something like that. Okay. That's still a lot. So you had that much support. Because a lot of the support you got from firefighters and just friends were were with Rocky, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it blew my mind. The support immediately that happened was phenomenal. It was crazy. As soon as I sent off on my adventure, Stephen, you would not believe it. Firefighters from all over the country were like, how can we help? How can we help? My uh, mother and father's friends were hitting me up left and right. Hey, I'm in California. I'm in Arizona. And then I got people helping me out in states like I've never been to Phoenix. And I got people like, hey, can I drive 100 miles out and pick up your dog? And then you can have him when you get in Phoenix. And I'm like, yeah, that would be lovely. And then there's people outside of Phoenix that are like, I'm 100 miles this way. You think they can deliver them to me? And there's this domino effect that's happening between family, friends, and wildland, wildland firefighters connected me all through Texas, Louisiana, and uh, Alabama, all the way to Florida. It was the, the craziest, most beautiful, I am so grateful support that I've ever seen in my life. You know, that, that, that actually, that, that was an amazing part of the book. I mean, I knew the, the firefighting brotherhood was big, but I mean, man, it blew me away. And we're going to talk about how you finished your ride at the end. Cause that was super powerful. Um, but you know, I, I got to, I got to say, Kevin, one thing that was ironic in the whole thing was you're traveling with a dog in a trailer and you get attacked by dogs. Can you share with us like what that was like and, and the value of the air horn in these situations? Cause I thought that was pretty funny. Scary. Scary is what it's like. No, I didn't have a, a, a air horn at first. And I was like, shit, these dogs would come chasing you. And there was no way in hell I could I could ride my bike fast enough, like on flat ground. You know, downhill, sure, I can outride them. Up a hill, no way. And when they would come at me, at first I would get off my bike. I'd try to outride them. And then I would get off my bike and position my bike in front of them. And Rocky's going crazy. I'm trying to <laughs> yell does, at him. How does Rocky, uh, uh, how does he respond to an air horn? Because it obviously worked very effectively with the dogs trying to attack you. It was super effective. So when I finally did get, well, the first time I really got attacked by dogs, I didn't have any protection. Hmm. The second time, I had a hatchet. And <laughs> Wait, didn't that go in a it, toilet somewhere, if I remember from your book? The, the first one fell in the toilet. The second one I got, I, and I, I got this hatchet in my hand, and I'm looking at these dogs, and there's like this weird moment that goes through your mind when you're about to like hurt someone or something. I don't know. This weird moment you go through, and I'm like, I don't want to hit this dog, and I don't want to kill this dog. And I'm holding my hatchet up, and I'm like, get back, get back, get back, you know, yelling at the dog. 
and he gets back. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't want to kill this dog. And then well, you got I one got, in your trailer. There's no way you would do it. And then I got a air horn. The air horn is so effective. If you're bike touring, always bring an air horn. <laughs> That's always funny. bring an air Where'd horn. Where'd you get that idea, by the way? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That was I brilliant, to, actually, man. I like that. I, that was funny. I was trying to think of a nonviolent way to scare an animal off. <laughs> it sounds like it's pretty effective. It's very effective. Yeah, the first time I used the air horn was down in uh, Louisiana, Alabama, somewhere around there. Uh, and I, I blew the air horn. There was three dogs running out of the front yard. <laughs> and I lit off the air horn. That's and hilarious. I had a, a boat horn. This isn't like your yeah, your neighborhood air horn. This is like a for like a 40, 50-foot boat. It's, like, it's, this is a big-ass air Like, you got to cover your ears. It's not your grandpa's air horn is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. And, and I, I let that New thing generation. Off. They ran really fast back to their house. Wow. No, they want nothing to do with us. <laughs> I can't believe your dog wasn't scared to death, though. Well, he's trapped in a... Yeah, he doesn't have any choice. He's stuck there. I got you. Well, he probably got used to it, too. Yeah, but no, I, I had a few dogs. Uh, I had two dogs bite my paneers, my, my bike bags. No, that doesn't surprise me at all. I, I could totally see that. That doesn't shock me a bit. So, Kevin, I recall situations where your dog brought attention to your ride, and there was one example when um, you traveled through Native American Apache land. So much happened during that part of the journey. Can you speak to that? Yes. That was such a uh, beautiful moment knowing, like, right where I was was right where I should be. And when I got to the San Carlos Reservation down in uh, Arizona, I was so blessed by the Apache community. And I had done a, a news interview with uh, the Phoenix, uh, like Fox 10 there. And the next day, I rolled into this, uh, this gas, you know, big truck stop that had a place called Apache Burger. And I was standing in the line waiting for some waiting for some food or like to order some food and I got Rocky right there. I got him on his on his leash and everyone's loving Rocky and there's this big this big Apache right in front of me and he goes, Hey, is that Rocky? And I said, Yeah, that's Rocky and it, <laughs> that's awesome. he's he's all excited. He's like, I think we saw you on Fox Fox News last night. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Oh, all right. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to like calm him down. I don't Anyways, he yells out to everyone. He goes, uh, this is a firefighter right across the country raising money for firefighters that died, and, and this is Rocky. And, uh, no, it was beautiful. And uh, someone ends up buying me lunch, and we go up backside. We go out uh, to the front of the gas station, and the tribal leader is a youth leader, so he has uh, six or seven children that he's on a bus with they just left a parade where they had their face painted and they got tribal feathers and and they're dancing around and he says we really want to sing you a a song it's called going home it's an old native song that we've been singing for a few thousand years and we want to sing it for you on your journey and it was one of the most humbling moments in my life and these kids come off the bus and one of them's carrying a drum and they get in a circle around me and Rocky and my bike. And it's all in uh, ancient Apache. And they're singing the song. It's 10, 15 minutes long. 
and they sing this uh, ancient tribal song called Going Home to give us peace on our journey. It was one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had in my life. I'm Oh, so touching. Do I, do I remember the song was based around like protecting you? And there, there, there's like a protection element of, of this to your ride. Is that is that part of it? Yes, the the song was written for, you know, a long long time ago. It was written for warriors to come home safely, or, you know, hunters that went out hunting and, you know, you know, getting a deer or something for the tribe. Yeah, it was for hunters and, and warriors that went out to war, riots, or or were going out hunting. Yeah, and then an elder gave you an arrowhead from his hat too, right? Which I guess is sacred. Rarely is offered to a uh, white man. Can you tell about that experience? Because that that was just not a moment that happened. That that followed you through the Apache territory. Um, I mean, that that sounded very unique for someone like yourself to experience yeah that was wild so right after the day that i have uh this group of patches singing me this uh beautiful song going home the next day uh that night we camped on apache lands incredible sunset i just felt like i was one with the land i'm i'm, I'm trying to understand what they go through and i never will because i never got through it but uh just trying to be one there and then the next morning, go to a gas station, and uh, oh, it was incredible. This guy comes up to me, and he's in uh, in his car with his girlfriend, and he goes, we saw you on the news last night, and he's got a cowboy hat on. He's got this big cowboy hat on, and he goes, I want to give you something safe to keep you, to keep you safe on your journey across the Apache lands, get you to Florida. And he grabs this big knife off his hip. And he grabs his knife and he takes his cowboy hat off. And he's got rope tied around his cowboy hat. And he cuts it off. And it's this big arrowhead that his grandfather had gifted to him. And he says, I want to give this to you, brother, to keep you safe on your journey, to keep your heart healthy, and to get you home back to your family. And he gives that to me. I've carried it in my wallet ever since. Yeah, which uh, which apparently is not done very often for a white man, right? Like that that rarely happens. I remember you saying that in your book, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I, uh, the lady that runs the gas station is a white woman, and she's married to an Apache. And her husband overheard the conversation, and she said, "I, I just talked to my husband. He's an Apache." And she said something like pretty blunt, like that never happens to a white man ever. <laughs> wow. Ever, okay. Ever. So you obviously had an impact there. Then, you know, also, uh, Kevin, you talk about the native American Geronimo in your book and how he wishes that he never surrendered and he did surrender and that that became a battle cry for you. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting, right? So, you know, you're going through, this Apache land and you, you're battling this mental illness and you're like, man, I'm not going to give up. So can you speak to that? Yeah, it was, um, it was so nurturing. So I, I really started to feel empathetic and feel compassion and try to understand 
Native Americans when I started working winter's therapy living in southern Utah and you know being on native lands I tried to tried to understand them as I met them as I went through canyons and seeing petroglyphs and, and pictographs and, and try to understand like <laughs> I don't want to go down this hole too much but we abused them we we really took advantage raped them uh, uh, took their land and we were really rude to Native Americans in the United States this is their land and I have a deep respect for Native lands and whenever I go there I always say thank you for having me I appreciate my time here thank you for having me and I'll say I say that out to the wind there's no one there and uh, when I was there I felt so blessed and so honored to be a part of their culture and seeing them help me was so encompassing to me starting to find myself again. Yeah, yeah, understood. Um, and so, I mean, obviously you had a great experience there, uh, which is awesome. And I think that was a pretty powerful moment in the book. I think I remember the Native Americans praying for you all the way through the uh, the reservation, and you kept running into people, and they all knew you from TV and from just you know local. Um, uh, discussions, right? So you you were well known as you were going through the lands. You had a lot of, I guess we're going to call it bike magic because that's what it sounds like it was. Um, but I, I so I, I got to flip it because I know everything's not always wonderful on a long distance journey, whether it's biking or hiking. Because I've been there, and you you had some scary moments too. And so I thought I remembered like, I thought I remembered a moment in the book where Rocky was in the back of your trailer. And you lost a wheel, and he, oh, yeah. he like goes into traffic. Was that in Texas? That was yeah. further. That was further down the road. No, that right? was in Florida. That was in Florida. Oh, that was all the way down the road. Okay, that was Florida. Do you yeah, want to talk that was, about that while we're on the topic? Oh shit, that was our second to la- second to last day. Yeah. Wow, right Holy at the shit. end. Okay, right at the end. That okay. was scary as hell. Uh, there was a probably like three or four moments where you're like, oh darn. I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm fixing to die. Um, when we were in Florida, yeah, his wheel on his trailer came off, rolled across. So if you can imagine this, we're on two-lane traffic, one-lane traffic, one lane each way, and the shoulder is probably about eight inches. So there's not a lot of room. To give you an example, so eight-inch shoulder, his trailer is probably about three feet, so we're in the road. And his wheel comes off his trailer, rolls across the road, and I'm skidding off. I can't fix it as it's happening immediately, like when his wheel falls off. So I fall into traffic right into the double yellow line. Mm. Luckily, there's no cars coming, and I'm able to pull I have to like rip the bike apart because there's no tire. So like I got metal just ripping across the asphalt and then go and get his tire and fix it. And thank the Lord there was no, there was no cars coming. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Oh, it would have been. Yeah. Somebody would have hit me at like 60 miles an hour. There's no stopping if 
if there was a car come. But you, but Rocky gave you got a, a lot of a social media attention, right? I mean, I think I remember because I know you have a lot of followers on your Instagram page, which I believe is backcountryninjas.com. Do I have that right? Yeah, Backcountry Ninjas on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. it was it, it it was crazy because I, I would meet so many people that like saw me on the news, and they would never remember my name, and they go, "Is that Rocky? Yeah, is that Rocky? That's funny. Oh, I know. I noticed right, that. Left and right, everyone knew Rocky. Nobody, you know, you know, people remember my name, but most of the time they were like, "Is that Rocky? Is yeah. that Rocky?" Yeah, well, so what we haven't talked about at all, which I think is relevant, is that you got a ton of media attention as you rode across the country, right? I mean, and we're not talking, like, social media just. We're talking newspapers. You had TV stations. You had some old-school media that was following you like crazy, which we, we were talking about the Apache. They recognized you from that. Um, you want to talk about the media attention? Because you had a lot. Yeah, it was so... Uh... Gosh, truly really humbling, and uh, it was really hard at first when I started getting interviewed. I got interviewed in, uh, oh gosh, maybe a dozen, dozen or so times, newspapers and and uh, like you know Fox, CBS, ABC, NBC. Yeah, it was it was, it was so interesting. It was uh, it was really hard at first, and then I got really comfortable talking about mental illness it was really difficult um you know man i mean you've you've been doing this for a while so i I know i know it wasn't easy for you but i mean i give you a lot of courage for coming out and and speaking so openly because i mean obviously you're over that hump yes yeah true no it was wild like there were so many uh people that i knew and, and so many people i did not know that reached out to newscasters and there was like interviews that were like coming out of the sky, and I'm like, "You want to talk to me? All right, you know, I'll be riding my bike through there uh, tomorrow, or you know, in, in in six or seven days." So I did a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of news interviews, and speaking about mental mental health, mental awareness, and that was really important to one of my goals that I wanted to achieve in my ride. And that was really important to me because I was overcoming it. And I think it's really important to the world to let people know that it is okay. Yeah, I know you say that a lot. So, Kevin, favorite celebrity moment? Because I know you had a bunch in the book. Do you have one? So, I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> I mean, favorite moment of being recognized, though. I mean, you know, you were pretty humble about your recognitions in the book, but there had to be a moment where you were like, "This is kind of cool." Was it? Was it in the Apache Land? Because they were very generous to you. Uh no, um, no. My one of my I have a lot of favorite moments on my my trip or shooter. One of my favorite moments was watching the world just provide for you when you're letting it out, if that makes sense. Yeah. And when I let my dad, uh, my dad came out for 11 days, support me. I love that part of the book. I just want to tell you, I love that part of the book. It was awesome. Mainly because of the backstory, right? Like I know you guys had some ups and downs earlier in your life. Um, and you, you know, 
And I, I know how important your dad is to you. So that was awesome. That was a great part of the book. Yeah, I love that. I'm so, so grateful that he wrote a chapter. And so when he left, when we were in New Orleans, I was, uh, I was just really like torn. I was, I was missing my dad. I was missing my dad. Like he was just out here for 11 days and I was like, shit, I'm, I'm back on my own again. And, uh, I remember dropping off the airport and I'm feeling kind of like, kind of lost, kind of just mentally, like, I don't have my, my friend. I don't have my dad. I don't have that, you know, support team. And I get back to the hotel and I was like, I couldn't walk my, uh, I couldn't walk, but I could ride a bike, which is like a whole nother story. But, uh, I couldn't walk. It kind of blows my mind thinking back about it. So, uh, I go down to the, there's a bar right next door to the hotel. And I was like, I'm going to go take my day off. I'm going to go get a, go get a morning, uh, what do you call that? Uh, champagne and, uh, orange juice, uh, uh, what go is, get a mimosa. What, what, that's right. I, I couldn't mimosa, think of it either, mimosa. man. But yeah, that's what it's yeah. called. I go down and I get a mimosa, and the guy sitting next to me, he goes, "Hey, are you Kevin Conley? You that firefighter riding across the country?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And he slides me twenty dollars, and he said, "The next mimosa is on me." Wow. I said, awesome. All right, thank you. That's awesome. And I, I'm, I go outside. I got Rocky with me. I got him on a leash. And uh, I'm just feeling like, I don't want to say empty, but just like, I'm feeling sad that my dad's not there. Like, I'm all by myself again, which I have been since the beginning, but my dad's out there for 11 days. Yeah. And I, I go outside, and I see this homeless guy on the street corner. He's got a sign. I can't see it from my angle. And I walk over, and I said, hey, can I buy you, uh, buy you lunch? You want some food? And he doesn't even look at me. And I look at his sign. He goes, the sign says, uh, and, you know, he's written it with a Sharpie on the cardboard. says, I can't, I can't hear you. Oh, I remember that in the book. I got you. I remember. Yeah, he says, I, I'm deaf. And so I'm at this moment where I'm feeling kind of lonely. And uh, his sign says, I'm deaf, I'm really hungry. Something like that. Like, I really want some food. And I walked in front of him. And I'm trying to, like, tell him, let me buy you some food. And this woman out of nowhere, she's, like, in in a business outfit. You know, she's got, like, a skirt on, tucked in shirt. She's, like, ready for work, like a lawyer kind of looking woman. And she goes, are you trying to talk to this guy? And I said, yes, but he's deaf. And she goes, okay, I know sign language. And I told her what I was trying to say, like, I love you, the world loves you, can I buy you lunch? And she signs it to him. And he follows me and we go back to the restaurant and we ate lunch together and because he was deaf, we didn't talk. We just sat there and there was something with that comfort of just knowing someone was there that like really boosts my spirits. And I was like, after we shared that moment together, got him some food, I was ready to go again. 
Uh, yeah, I, I remember that moment in the book, man. That was pretty powerful, actually. Kevin, a question for you. Your dad said that you were in a bad place on your first Anchor Point podcast, which I think you recorded in Texas. Um, but your third podcast, you were near the end of the ride, which is what we were just talking about. Um, how were things so different then? Like, what changed for you? The biggest thing that changed, Bird Shooter, was that I accepted what I was going through. I forgave myself for what I went through. I forgave. I forgave myself, and I started the healing process. And the thing that helped me was I didn't have an escape. So when I was riding. 70, 80 miles, and there was no resources. I didn't have an escape. There was no calling a friend, getting a beer, going to a bar. There was no way to run away from this. I had to learn to accept where I was and pedal through that. And that's what life comes down to. you got to stop running through your problems and face them. And how we face them There's a million ways to face them, but there's only one way to face yourself, and you gotta accept, forgive, and heal. You gotta tell yourself, it's gonna be all right. I can get through this, and I'm gonna start going through this. So I just started dealing with my problems head on. I think that's what you gotta do. I mean, you're pretty open about the fact you needed to do that. Um, So let's talk about the book, and I can't believe it's taken us this long to get to the book. I mean, because that that is the whole point we're together right now. I mean, um, at what point did you decide you were going to write a book about your mental health battles? Because I'm sure when you first set out on your bike ride, that was not on your mind. No, not at all. No, not at all. I, I had no, I had no desire to help other people. My desire right off the bat was to not want to kill myself. I got to do something to rise above the ashes. That That's a fair, that's actually a fair goal right there. So I'll give you that. Yeah. And when I started receiving messages from firefighters, from Navy SEALs, from regular people, and they were telling me your story, you talking out about this, you being real, you being authentic and raw, that's helping me. Like I had, I had one person that reached out to me and said, uh, I've been depressed for a couple of years and I've wanted to kill myself for six months. And I've reloaded and loaded a gun more than a dozen times. And seeing what you're doing, riding your bike across the country and talking about this, I finally talked to someone about it. And he reached out to his mother. He told someone under the same fucking roof how he was feeling. And he never spoke about those feelings. And when I realized the impact that I was having on other people, that told me I should tell the story a little louder. A little louder. You know, Kevin, I think it's important to call out. That's a big part of the book. I mean, I was blown away by the number of people that reached out to you that were going through similar things. Um, That was very, very powerful. Um, 
Man, I totally get it. How did you find a publisher, by the way? First of all, let me say, I love the title, Above the Ashes. How's it selling? Good. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm self-published. I don't have a publisher. So if there is a publisher listening. <laughs> no, all right, so kidding. we, we uh, need to get the word out here because, I mean, I, I, I've already told you how much the uh, book impacted me. It's amazing. Above the Ashes is a brilliant name. Um, I've written a book myself. I, get, I don't know if you know, but I did a hiking book. I know what the experience is like, right? It's a lot of work, man. It's a ton of work, right? You got any advice for aspiring authors? Authenticity. Just be real? You were definitely yes. real in the book, man. I mean, it's emotional. Honestly, it's emotional. Yeah, um, that's my, my... I mean, there's a lot of advice for uh, for writers. I mean, it took me a year to understand. I mean, it's a big concept to understand. You got to do a lot of research. You got to do a lot of work. You got to write your book. You got to edit, revise a hundred times, and then you got to send it to a good editor, and then you got to read over it again. You got to you got to put in your work. Nothing comes easy in life. Yeah, agreed. I mean, dude, you, you're a guy that's busted his butt his whole life, man, with all these adventures you're doing. So I know you know that. Um, what what was different about the book writing experience than you expected, though? I am curious to get your take on that, having been there myself. Uh, well, I've never written a book before, Steve. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I was... I don't know. I was fantasized about uh, it being a lot easier than it was. It's that a lot was of work, man. No question. That that was way harder than riding my bike across the country. It's a lot of that work. That was that was one of the hardest things to the the big thing was if I'm gonna write a book, I have to put it in a place where let's say I call you Berkshire, let's say I call you and I say I believe in this book. I want to sell it to you. How do I get this book in a place where I'll tell a good friend that I believe in it enough that they would buy it? So getting your book in a, a standpoint that you are willing to tell your best friend to buy it, that's the hardest part, is believing in it 100%. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm already going to get I got a couple people in my family that are getting Christmas presents right now, so I can tell you I'm buying it. But uh, man, yeah, it's you know, I don't want to compare it to Wild, but um, you know, Cheryl Strayed was brutally honest in her book about her life, and I think that's why her story, first of all, sold a ton of books, and second of all, became a movie because she was so honest about her situation, right? And you're you're definitely you're that you're that guy i mean man i mean i, I like i already told you it, it affected me um but hey man let's let's go positive here because what the listeners haven't heard is god you talk about a happy ending i mean the book has the ultimate happy ending um let's first talk about your ride across the mississippi because i thought that was super powerful in your book it sounded kind of dangerous but you had a bunch of public support. I'm going to let you take it from there. Yeah, the ride across the Mississippi was mind-blowing. 
I remember, so my dad's out supporting me. He came out from Del Rio, Texas, all the way down to New Orleans. So across the whole state, across uh, all the way down to uh, Baton Rouge and then New Orleans. And the goal was, so a, a newscaster in Baton Rouge co- contacted me, called me, and said, we really want you coming over this famous bridge. That's not part of the route. That's way off the route. But they want to put it on the news. And they were like, can you please go this way? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. I didn't want to ride across that route. Well, I guess there's a reason that the route doesn't go across the bridge, right? Yeah, there's probably like a thousand reasons. The number, <laughs> uh, it's like four lanes of traffic. And there's a, uh, it goes over a bridge before that where there's no bike lane. Anyways, there's no bike lane to begin with. Oh, it was a miracle, a miracle. That you, a miracle. Li- that you lived across the riding, right? Oh, holy shit. So I, I pull what? up to the bridge. Right. My dad's behind me like, you know, five, ten miles, something like that. And the goal was that I would call him and say, I'm going to start riding up the bridge. And he would be, he would be behind me. And he would put on his hazard lights and kind of escort me over the bridge. So, like, no one would slam behind me. He doesn't do that. He, he gets in front of me. He poaches the whole operation. And so he's speeding right in front of me. And I'm going over the bridge. And I'm like, fuck, this is like the dumbest thing that I've ever done in my life. This is so dangerous. There's four, I'm on like a highway. There's four lanes of traffic coming behind me. But by some miracle, you got to go up and over the Mississippi. I'm coming up the Mississippi. My dad's in front of me, speeding by me because traffic came behind him and he freaked out. And there's no cars behind me. And everyone to the left of me and all three lanes beside me, there's four lanes going up. Everyone's slowing down. And I'm like, what is going on? Hmm. And I get to the top of the bridge, and I'm like, this is beautiful. I just crossed the Mississippi, coming all the way from San Francisco, California. And I'm coming down the bridge, the news is filming, and I look over my shoulder, and there's a police car out of nowhere. He's got his lights on. No sirens, so you're not hearing the noise. Just got his lights on, and everyone's... It was like I had a police escort over the bridge it was a miracle all right so it was a miracle kevin it's not the last time you get a a police escort let's be honest because you know i think the most emotional part of the book honestly the part that probably choked me up the most was the end when you go across um the town of saint augustine not only did you have a police escort you had two fire trucks i believe and i'm gonna let you talk about this i think you had an ambulance escort there were like 30 people there from the from the fire department you're handed a full-size american flag this is the end of your journey you talk about a hollywood moment that is it i literally could see it in the screenplay i could see it in the cinema um <laughs> you get you got to talk about that because i mean we've been through a lot in these discussions tonight and um to me that was that was the man that was the end of the movie that was amazing yeah, when I was uh, when I was finishing, holy shit! Well, it was wild thinking about. So when I started 
in San Francisco, day one, day one, I, you know, the, the Wildland Firefighter Foundation knows what I'm going through. And they put out a social media post that uh, firefighters ran his bike across the country. Uh, a fire management officer in Florida contacts them and says, I'm in, Cal- uh, I'm in Florida. Can I have his contact information? And they call me, and I'm like, yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm at the beginning of my trip. And there's a guy in Florida that wants to see me at the end. And so we connect way back in California. I got 3,500 miles to go. I ride my bike across the country. And uh, the Anchor Point podcast, uh, his name's B. That's what we're going to say his name is. He calls the fire department and uh they said we're gonna have a couple structure trucks there we're gonna have the ambulance there we're gonna have some police cars there you know based on if there's anything going on in the town and i get uh 27 miles from saint augustine and uh he comes out meets me at the hotel and we ride the last 27 miles together we get like, I don't know, seven miles from St. Augustine. And I said, I need an American flag run across the, you know, the finish line. Yeah. You know, whatever you want to call it. And he's got a fire engine right behind us. And he says, my boys will go get you a American flag. I said, no way. <laughs> All right. They go get a American flag. And we ride the last seven miles, and we're like a mile from downtown uh, historic St. Augustine, one of the oldest town, the oldest town in in uh, the United States. And they hand me a United States uh, red, white, and blue, fifty stars flag, and I roll into the finish line and swing that out of the proudest moment of my life. Yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen uh, the the support, the friendship, the honor. That was one of the most humbling, respectful moments of my life. I, I, I never was so proud of who I was, and I was never so proud to be part of a community that calls themselves first responders. This is a community that that will not die. We will live forever. And it's an honor. It's an honor to call myself a firefighter. Kevin, the other, the other thing that was uh, really powerful was how some total strangers that you didn't even know came up and gave you a hug. You got to talk about that. Yeah, it's a true story. Yeah, there was a there was a few folks that uh, didn't know my story, saw the the fire trucks, and 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 walked up and gave me a hug and and donated to the the foundation, and really respected what I did. 
Well, it was so uh, humbling because I didn't know I did anything. You know, I just I just rode my bike across the country. I, I, I it was an honor. It was an honor, Stephen. Hey, you, you want to talk to that though? Because I think you had a you had an impact on people that had five dollars in their pocket and they gave it to you. Um, you had an impact on a lot of firefighters. You want to talk to that? The Apache. They had no light. You know, they just met you. I mean, your impact on people was incredible. Yeah, I think that's something that we never. You know, gracefully and gratefully, I have understood some of the impact that I've had on other people, and that's what inspired me to write a book. But I never, never knew, I never knew how much you impact people. And that's part of the reason that I wrote the book. But when I was on Apache lands, this guy came up to me, and he goes... I want to help you on your journey. And this guy gives me $5 to buy lunch. $5. Lunch is like $12. I don't mention that. I That was so incredible. So many people helped me along my journey. I don't know how to describe it. When I was in one of the poorest towns, poorest towns, this, this woman and her... Her husband drove 15 miles down a desert road instead of the highway just to find me and give me $5 to help me on my trip. $5. And that $5 will never describe the emotional impact that's so heartfelt, that's so impactful to me. Like you're trying to help a random stranger. I love you. I love you. I don't know how to say God bless you enough times. People are fucking awesome. The United States is a fucking awesome country. All right, so, Kevin, I got to ask you some closing questions because I can't tell you. I haven't done a podcast. It's uh, been so powerful, but uh, one of the things you say in your book that you felt like a glass ball ready to break at the beginning of your ride, but now you feel like a boulder. Could you comment on that? I am the boulder. I am the boulder. I will always be, uh, be glass, but I'm stronger. And it's gonna take a, it's gonna take a boulder to break this glass, but I am the boulder, so the glass doesn't matter anymore. I mean, but Kevin, is it always a fight, man? I mean, I can't believe that you can just walk away easily from this. I mean, is it always a fight? Can you always be the boulder, or is the glass always there? That it's downhill and uphill. What we're talking about is heavy shit. So uh, you're talking about the bottom of the mountain, top of the mountain. You're talking about the valley. You're talking about the peak. It's not about uh, being at the peak. It's not about being at the valley. It's not about 
being halfway up through your climb. What we need to understand is we can be at the peak and we can get back to the peak. We can be at the valley. We can get halfway back up and we can keep climbing. Okay. We, we, we got to understand that we are the rock. We are the rock. We came down, we can go back up. Okay, I like that. All right, so let, let's let's close this out. Let's close this out, like, as your book does, which, God dang, man, that ending was amazing. Amazing. Like, God, if there was ever a Hollywood moment, man, that was it. Um, your mom. I haven't talked about your mom yet. You finish on your mom's birthday? Is that right? That's correct, yes. Right before Christmas? Yes. And that was your original target? Yeah. You don't hear how crazy that is, Bertrand? That's crazy. I don't think I don't think I ever talked about this in an interview. Um, the craziest thing was when I was wanted to kill myself and I decided it was time to leave. I grabbed my calendar, I had a calendar in my room, and I circled I, I did lines through bike bike ride across the country, bike tour. And I circled bike tour done. Well, on December 19th, which is my mom's birthday, and I said, I'll go home now. I did that two months or, you know, a month and a half before I finished. And you you did it. You actually delivered on that. I had delivered. Wow, that's crazy. And then you were home in time for Christmas, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, very wow. awesome. Wow. So a couple of the things that we haven't talked about at all that I know were a big part of your ride. You talk about it in the book. You met a tandem couple, and they had met you earlier in the ride, man, like as early as Texas. Is that correct? That's correct, yep. And they end up finishing with you, which I thought was awesome, but they are so emotionally <laughs> they're so emotionally wrapped up in your journey. They can't bike across St. Augustine with you with the fire trucks and the ambulance. But yet you camp with them the last night and hit the ocean. Camp and swim in the ocean. And I think if I remember correctly, you started camping at the ocean on the other side. Help me out there. Yeah. Oh, I had uh, I had a big goal. I was. It's not a big goal, but I, I told myself, I was like, I camped the first night on my journey, Pedal of Peace, and I'm going to camp my last night. And I, I did that. I followed that. Yeah, I camped with them. Um, I met, gosh, I met them way back in probably California. I only saw them one time at the beginning. And, you know, like <laughs> the beginning the beginning of my time, we're to uh, people that haven't long distance hiked or biked. I saw them like 800 miles in, and then I saw them at 3,500 miles in. So the beginning and the end. Man, that's really cool. You know, just thinking back to our trail experiences, when you meet somebody early in your journey and you end up finishing with them, there's something special about that. Very, very, very special. Yeah, and I, more importantly, you got your dog with you. We haven't talked about Rocky enough because I know he was a major, major part of your journey. 
um, he ends up swimming in the ocean with you and with the I think the guy from the tandem couple, right? Yeah, with both of us. You want to talk about that? About the end? Yeah, like swimming in the water, celebrating in the Atlantic. You made it across the country. What was uh, so important to me, Stephen? It was never important that I rode across the country. What I was really proud of was raising money for the firefighting community, raising awareness about mental health. And it was fun to jump in the ocean and understand that I overcame my mental illness and I overcame adversity that is given to all of us. We will all face adversity. I mean, back back to your three goals, right? And Save Yourself was the other one, which we, we touched on earlier in the show. Uh, and I totally got you. Um, so, hey, Kevin, another question for you. So yeah. you actually go back and see your Salt Lake girlfriend at the end, right? Oh, boy. You want to talk about that? When I got back to Salt Lake City, uh, Jessica and I saw each other again. Uh, we went went out for uh, lunch. Went out for dinner. Had a really nice day together. And I've never seen her again. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, I didn't see that coming, man. Kevin, you had three goals on this journey. Raise money, raise awareness, and find peace. Sounds like you achieved all of them. The last sentence in your book is those 3,500 miles saved your life. you got to tell the listeners why. 3,500 miles. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And it took a change in my life to realize that I could make a change in my life. As anyone can, we have to heal. We have to forgive. We have to move on. And we have to have empathy for ourselves and for others. Yeah, nothing changes if nothing changes. Okay, so... The other thing that strikes me, though, is you've had all these amazing adventures in your life. Like, amazing. Like, most people don't get one of these adventures in a lifetime. And we've talked about them in previous podcasts. Where do you go from here, man? All the stuff you've been through? Like, where do you go from here? I'm dying to know. Yeah, I'm dying to know, too. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm really torn between like a bike tour or a backpacking trip. Wow. It, it, it's such a tease when I say like, when I say backpacking, I mean like it's probably going to be over a thousand miles. Like bike touring, probably going to be over a thousand miles. I don't know. I, you, you know the I, CDT will give you the triple crown there, uh, 30. Yeah, I don't want it. You don't want the CDT. You don't want the. You don't want the triple crown. You're there. You've done the miles. 
Yeah. I don't, that's a tough one to think about. So you're, you're definitely, it sounds like you're definitely going back to firefighting. That's not changing, right? That's that's pretty set in stone. No, I, I, I'm torn between bike touring and and uh, backpacking. Okay. I don't I don't know I don't know how I could hike the CDT. Uh, I'm thinking bigger, bigger, bigger. I, I don't want to tell you what it is because if I say it, then I got <laughs> to do, do it. it. I got gotcha. you. So it it doesn't sound like you would ever bike with your dog again. Am I correct on that? Yet yet he yes. yet Rocky sounded like he added a lot to your trip. Yes, having that friendship. Oh, you can't beat that. No, I, 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 I don't want to pull a dog is a lot more than people ever think. No, I don't. I don't intend on pulling a dog anywhere ever again. So you know, uh, Kevin, you and I talked when you turned thirty. We talked multiple times before then. I think we've got five hours of of discussions, um, which are awesome, and I treasure them. What what do you what do you want the next ten years to bring? Like when I talk to you ten years from now, what do you what do you want us to be talking about? Oh, shit. Well, we talked about living in the moment. Uh, I don't know. I I don't want to get get past where I'm at right now. Right okay, now, that's fair. I'm, I'm focused on helping other people going through mental illness. I'm focused on raising awareness about mental health especially within men and our culture. And I want to get people backpacking and bike touring. Um, in the next t- 10 years? Uh, oh, shit. Uh, oh, oh, gosh. I, yeah. I want to write a, a couple more books. And I want to I want to make a difference in this world. You know, maybe, maybe uh, one of your next books is mental illness. So let me ask this. What advice do you have for those struggling with mental illness? Never give up. Okay. That sounds like it sounds like something you said in your book multiple times about your dad. Like he he gave you that he gave you that, right? At the end of the day. Well one of the biggest moments in my life was I don't, I don't want to call it simple, but imagine a moment. I don't know if you could put yourself in this moment, but I was out with some friends of Portland, Oregon, and I was walking over a really high bridge. And as I was walking over the bridge, I got to the pinnacle of the bridge, and a guy was fixing to jump off oh. and kill him. Kill himself. I heard, I heard that in the Anchor Point podcast. Do you want to talk about that? That was super powerful. He, uh, I walk over the bridge, and I'm not in the best situation to talk to somebody. I've been drinking too much. And I get to the top of the bridge, and he says, uh, I walk up to him. I said, hey, man, what's going on? And he said, I'm ready to, to jump to end my life. And I said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute and he said yeah and we sat down it's windy it's cold it's miserable outside and we just talked and I just listened I just listened to him and he didn't jump off the bridge we walked down off the bridge and it was a moment like that that 
I realize being there for someone, listening to them, it can change someone's whole perspective, change the whole trajectory on life. And he didn't kill himself that night. He wanted to jump off the fucking bridge. And just me sitting down with him changed his mind for that one night. And that's what we have to understand as humans, is we can change someone's whole impact, whole life, if we just give them the time to listen. And yeah, I just talked to him. I don't know, you know, what's happened to him after that. But I know that night, he didn't jump. He didn't jump. And we gotta be there for each other. We gotta be there for each other. There's a lot of a lot of people listening to you tonight, there, Kevin, for sure. So um, I know the Wildlife Fighters Foundation played a major role in your ride. Can you give the listeners some information so they can contribute to the cause? Because I know that's emotionally um, a big support system for you. So many firefighters came out to support you. I know you feel strongly about that. How can we help him out here? Very strong, very strong. Uh, WildlandFirefighterFoundation.org is the best way to donate, support, and help your first responders that are out there saving your land, saving your community, saving your house, protecting you. Those people will fight for you every day, every day. And, so, yeah. and they can find them. What, what's the, uh, do they have a website or? Yeah, WFF.org. That's it? Okay, easy. Wow, okay. WFF.org. Perfect. Yeah, Wildland Firefighter Foundation.org. And you you actually raised, we haven't talked about this at all. I mean, there's so much that we haven't talked about, um, and we've talked a lot, but um, you raised a lot of money for them on the ride. How much did you raise exactly? Uh, uh, A little under twenty k. $20,000. And there were multiple times that I remember in the book where people had no money at all and they said they were going to donate after they met you, correct? I remember that multiple times in your book. Yeah, that was amazing. Seeing some of the poorest people in the country supporting first responders, supporting me. and, and, And that goes all back to being grateful. Like, gosh, these people that have no money want to help the community beautiful hey kevin kevin can you talk about the time i and and we're wrapping this up but i think this is a it's a good time to bring this out there was a part in texas i believe where somebody found you chased you down um and drove all over the place trying to find you for to give you like a five dollar donation which they probably didn't have the money for right do you remember that i remember that vividly can you can you tell the listeners yeah, that was in uh, Hatch. That was in uh, New Mexico. And they s- didn't see me. I went into the best burger joint in the fucking country. And uh, I got a cheeseburger and I rode out with Rocky. And I was driving down this road and I saw this black Jeep just like following me down this like deserted country road. And I'm, it was kind of sketchy at first. And they're following me, and they end up pulling over. And I'm like, what's going on here? What's going on? They try to talk to me. 
And a woman opens the back door, and there's a kid right in the back seat. And she said, hey, we saw your flyer at the Hatch cheeseburger joint, and we want to give you $5. And she gets out of the car, and she goes right to Rocky. And she goes, is this Rocky? She, she didn't remember my name. She goes, is this Rocky? And I go, yeah, that's Rocky. And she's petting Rocky on the head, and she hands me $5. And it was moments like that, just with the most amazing Americans and and so many people from were helping me along the way. So many firefighters. I was getting blessed all the time. It it was remarkable. Yeah, we we actually have not talked enough about the brotherhood that you had on your ride because it was amazing, the number of people that came out to support you. Um unbelievable actually so hey can we talk about uh social media because i know there's going to want to be people that follow you and they're not going to know how so um backcountry ninja is one of your sites right talk talk social media how people can follow you oh backcountry ninjas uh on instagram and then kevin the okay awesome and so the book is uh, above the ashes well titled, by the way, love that. Um, man, one of the things you say, Kevin, is you put love out and it flows back to you. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> man, your story is so powerful. Uh, I don't know, man. Let's talk about the firefighters that put their lives on the line every day, like. Any, any, can we, can you give them some kudos? Cause you're one of them and they're the ones that supported you on this ride. Uh, we will be the humble, invisible line of duty that needs to be taken care of. We will, we will fight so you don't have to. Yeah. And, uh, I hope that people donate to the wildland firefighter foundation for firefighters that are killed in the line of duty. We're going to put up that fight. Hey, throw, throw the uh, website out there one more time because I think it's important. Uh, Wildland Firefighter Foundation. WWF, what was it? Dot org. Okay, gotcha. And uh, last final question for you. You said in your book that you uh, try to do something selfless. For yourself, every year, something for others. Uh, that said, any final thoughts? Final thoughts are uh, always take care of the people that you don't understand and always take care of yourself. And be nice to the world around you. Be kind. Be loving. Be respectful. And you never know what someone else is suffering through. And they never know what you're going through. Take care of each other. Take care of yourself. And love the world around you. That's a great statement. Gavin, thank you for being on the show. Can't believe I met you just randomly in the wilderness. Uh... What man, six years ago? God, what a what a journey you've been on. 
Super impressed by you, your book. <clears throat> Amazing. Amazing. Thanks, bro. I, I, I hope we gave something nice uh, for uh, everyone listening. I hope we gave them something nice. Above the ashes, ladies and gentlemen, go get it. Kevin Conley, KC 30-pack, adventure, storyteller, survivor. Thank you, God Kevin. Bl- God bless, my brother. You've been listening to the N2 Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to the show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also stream shows directly from n2backpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music from the show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. The show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures, Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at n2backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number 2, backpacking.com.